lesson here, but what a great thought in that song. That river flowing out of the throne of God is like crystal, like crystal. And it's a beautiful picture flowing out of the throne of God right into the middle of Main Street of that heavenly city. We want to be there at the throne of God. It's entirely possible to be there. We plan to be there. And we want as many people there with us as possible. Which brings us to our lesson tonight, a focus on souls. A focus on souls. One week from this evening, the good Lord willing, our gospel meeting. You see the papers in back there. Our gospel meeting will begin one week from tonight. Three big nights. Three great opportunities to hear the gospel proclaimed. Brother Cliff Goodwin. I've known him and known him for years. You're going to enjoy him. You're going to appreciate him very much. He's one of us. He's one of us. He's an Alabamian. He's been preaching for a good long while, has a great family, and you will, you will embrace uh, him. He's coming on Sunday night. He could not come on Sunday morning, but here's what's happening across the Brotherhood in many places. And they're doing this where he preaches down there at Ironton, near Talladega, but they have morning services and every Sunday their evening service is at, is at 1 p.m. And so that frees Cliff up to come and begin our meeting on next Sunday evening, 7 p.m., Monday evening, 7 p.m., Tuesday evening, November 13th to the 15th. Let's do all we can. I know you will. Let's do all we can to promote this and to, to work toward it and pray about it. And we're going to, along with that emphasis, focus on souls uh, tonight. Now, the take I want to take with you is think about how that we are, as Christians, we are labeled in such a way. We're labeled in such a way that it automatically makes us obligated and also qualified to reach other souls. And so the Bible labels us in such a way that it both obligates us and qualifies us to reach other souls. And so we'll, we'll notice several examples of this together this evening. So we'll begin. First of all, we are labeled as forgiven, and thank the Lord. We can't go to that throne of life. We can't go to that river of life at the throne of God unless we are forgiven through Jesus, and we are labeled as forgiven. Notice a passage with me in Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. Psalm number 51, verses 10 through 12, where David is confessing his sin. And you might remember some of it. He, he, in his confession, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. He says, Take not your Holy Spirit from me, he also says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He says, Lord, and he pledges himself. He says, Lord, if you will do this, then I will teach transgressors thy ways. Lord, I will teach sinners your ways. Okay. And so being forgiven, as you can see, automatically obligates us to 
help other people be forgiven as well. At least that's how David looks at it. and He's part of inspiration uh, there. You see, in order for one to be converted, he must be taught the word of God. David understood that long ago, and it's certainly made clear to us today in New Testament times. If we look over to John chapter 6 and 44 and 45, uh, Jesus talks about this. He says, um, the Father wants to draw all men to him, and the way the Father draws all men to him is through teaching. They must all be taught of God. Right. Now, Jesus says in John 12, uh, 32, I, if I be lifted up, that is be lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to me. So notice this drawing power of the cross. So if we are teaching the word of God with a concentration on the cross of Jesus, then we have a good opportunity, a good possibility of drawing men to the Father, drawing men uh, to Christ. Right. We remember Paul to Timothy says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So if we're going to be converted, if we're going to help other people be converted, we've got to be able to teach them the word of God. Jesus made this part of the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, in verses 18 to 20. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then again, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then, lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. So notice that David says that we are forgiven. And in his mind, in his mind, that means we must teach transgressors uh, thy ways. It's interesting there in Matthew 28 that Jesus begins his little speech about the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 18, by saying, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. All authority. Well, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you walk away saying, Jesus has all authority. I mean, look what, look what he taught. Look what he did. Look at his compassion. Look what he was willing to do. Look at his suffering. Look what he promised. Look at his resurrection. Look at his ascension up on high. Of course, all authority belongs unto him. And we ought to be able to, we ought to be willing to teach under uh, that authority. Now, this, in David's mind, in David's mind, uh, he says that he wanted to teach transgressors God's ways. But he also mentions before that, he says, Lord, restore to me the joy. And this is, this is, where, the, uh, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is, this is the turning point here. This is, this is whether it happens or not. Okay? If, we're, if we're filled with the joy of salvation, then we will teach transgressors thy ways, the ways of God. Question is, are we really filled with joy? And the way you can test that is, how much do I talk about it? How much am I willing to share it? If I have the joy, I'm going to want to share it. Much like what we mentioned this morning there uh, with Jesus and his resurrected body 
and they come to discover who he is, well, automatically, the, even though it was late at night, seven miles away, they go right back to Jerusalem just to find somebody to share the good news with. Okay. It reminds us also of, of the woman at Jacob's well and Jesus talked to in John 4, down in John 4, 28 and 29, as she gradually has, has now learned that Jesus is the one, that he is the Messiah, she left her water pot. There's much more important news here. She left her, there's something more important to do. She left her water pot, water pot there and she goes back into her village. She begins to tell people, come see a man who told me all things I've ever done. Can this be the Christ? And she was very effective. It's because she had the joy. It's because they had the joy there on resurrection day as we discussed this morning. David had the joy. That's why he talked to others. See, when we have the joy, it will, it will be much like what Peter and John says in, in Acts 4, 19 and 20. We cannot but speak. They have been told, don't you speak any longer in the name of Jesus. They responded and said, we cannot but speak. All right, so ask yourself, look at yourself. Okay. Is, is, that the, is that the way it is? is? Is that the reality in your heart? I cannot but speak. I'm so full of joy, I cannot but speak. I have no choice about it. I cannot but speak. So, because we're labeled forgiven, then we have both the obligation and also the qualification to uh, reach souls. A second label I want you to think about uh, together is the label that Paul mentions in Romans 1.14, debtor. I'm a debtor, Paul says. I'm a debtor. D-E-B-T-O-R. I'm a debtor. Romans 1.14. He says, I'm a debtor to all men. I'm a debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians. Romans 1.14.15. I'm a debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians. I'm a debtor to those who are wise and those who are unwise, those who are foolish. I'm a debtor to everybody. As much as in me is, I'm going to come there in Rome and preach the gospel uh, as much as I can. You see, a person can discover the truth. Jesus says we can discover the truth. John 8, 32, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Free from sin. Okay. In discovering the truth that can make us free from sin, in Paul's mind, that makes us under, under debt. Okay. When, Paul says, when Paul says, I am I, I'm in debt, I'm in debt, he feels an obligation, a heavy obligation to help other people to have salvation as well. Jesus once said in Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given, then much shall be required. Okay. I don't know if you know it or not, but the treasure of salvation is of great value. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The treasure of salvation is of great value. To whom much is given, much shall be required. This is how Paul felt about it. He was under heavy obligation. He was under a burden to share because he feels so blessed himself. Therefore, I'm a debtor to all men, both to the Greeks and barbarians, to the wise and unwise as much as in me is, I'm going to keep at this task. So if a person 
discovers the truth, the truth that will make one free, then he's automatically indebted to all the enslaved world. Why is the entire world enslaved? Because of sin. Because of sin. If you stay right there in John 8, 34, Jesus says, whoever continues in sin becomes a slave of sin. And so the whole world is enslaved. But we, you, have discovered a truth that can make one free. Are you just going to sit on it? Are you just going to keep it to yourself? No, you're going to feel a heavy burden to share that with someone else. Someone may say, well, I do my part. That won't do. That will not do. That's, that's not the spirit of Paul. Let me just say it that way. That's not the spirit of Paul. Okay. Paul says in that, right there in Romans 1, 15, as much as in me is, when it comes to souls, Paul was going to do all that he can while he could with all that he had for as many as he could in, in all the time that he was given. He was going to do it as much as in me is. I know that we end up having different roles at church and different talents and abilities. And maybe in one area or another, we may be more effective. But nonetheless, when it comes to souls, we don't back off and say, well, I, I, that's not my part. You know, that's not the spirit of the New Testament. If we know of a soul that's lost, then we kick into gear. We kick into gear. We, we have an overload there. We, we're going to do all that we can in behalf of that soul. And so, first of all, we're forgiven. And then secondly, we are debtors. And then a third label is branches, John 15. John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. And here's what is expected of the branches. What is it? What is it? To bear fruit. To bear fruit. Bear fruit. John 15, verse 8, right there. Jesus says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear how much? There you go, Mike. That you bear much fruit. Much fruit. Okay. And we're not, we don't have to guess what this fruit is. Going back to Romans 1 and, and 13, Paul, as he's discussing, he hasn't been able to get to Rome. Boy, Paul wanted to get to Rome in such a bad way. He says, I've been hindered, I've been hindered, but when I get there, I want to bear fruit among you as I have done among the other Gentiles. We know exactly what he means. He wants to go in there, he wants to sow the seed of the gospel so that many will have the opportunity to come to Christ for forgiveness. That's what it is to bear fruit. Jesus said, if you want to glorify the Father, you will bear much fruit. Okay, so we are branches and we are automatically expected to bear much fruit now this puts us on the brink of hell this puts us on the very edge of hell itself because notice jesus words carefully there in john 15 he says what happens if a branch does not bear fruit what if a branch does not abide in Christ and bear fruit? What happens to that branch? All right. It's cut off and thrown into the fire. It is cast away. Okay. This is how Jesus puts it. He puts us on the brink of hell itself. Notice how Paul speaks to Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, 15 and 16. 1 Timothy 4, 
15 and 16, he wanted Timothy to meditate upon the teachings, to give himself wholly to them so that he may both save himself and those that hear him. Both save himself and those that hear him. We must believe. We must believe. We must look squarely at Jesus and ourselves. If we are not concerned for the lost, then how can we expect to be saved? So we are branches. We're debtors and we're branches. Okay. A fourth label is that that Jesus created, and that is the label of fishers of men. Matthew 4, verse 19, Matthew 4, 19. Also Mark 1, 17, where Jesus says, Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. So very simply there, if we are followers of Jesus, we will be fishers of men. Vice versa, if we're not fishing for men, then we can't really say that we are followers of Jesus. It's just taken from his words, right from his words, right into our hearts. Fishers of men. One thing we know about fishing is you've got to keep trying. You've got to keep trying. You've got to keep going back. And true fishermen keep going back and forth, back and forth. My dad was a huge bass fisherman, huge bass fisherman. And he would try different boats, and he would get one boat. He would get another size motor, and there they go. He and, my, he and his brother, my Uncle Charles, who just lived uh, next door, they would go, go, and go. They would go at the worst time of the year, January and February. But that's when you caught the big bass, January and February. Dad had uh, these special socks that I always wanted. These socks were, were battery-operated. But they were so created that they would warm your feet. Okay, that's what a nut he was about going fishing, about going fishing. But they would hit it once and again. They would go at night. They would go all day. They'd come back. What would you get? Well, we weren't so lucky. Why are you going again? One thing about fishermen is they keep going. They keep going. And so Jesus wants us to be resilient ourselves. He wants us to keep going. Why should we expect that we're going to just automatically be able to persuade someone on one or two tries? But you just keep going. You keep sowing the seed. In Luke 5, we read Jesus coming to Peter, and Peter's in his boat, and Peter had fished all night and caught no fishes. And Jesus said, why don't you cast on the other side? Well, we've been fishing, Lord. We're the fishermen here, but at your word, we'll, we'll lower the nets, and they caught a great big fish. We just keep trying. We just keep trying. Paul said in Galatians uh, 6 and verse 9, a very important verse. You know, some, some people say, well, I have tried. I have tried. Well, We've got to have some toughness about us. We've got to have some, a resilient uh, spirit. We've got to have a, a, a no-quit sort of attitude. Galatians 6 and verse 9, Paul says, Be not weary in well-doing. I would say that sowing the seed of the gospel is well-doing. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap 
But if we do not faint, we cannot be fishermen that faint. We've got to keep on going. So we are labeled as fishers of men. That puts us under obligation. It puts us uh, as people qualified to reach other souls. And then a fifth label I want to mention to you that Jesus labels us as the light of the world. The light of the world. You know it well, Matthew 5, 14, 15, and 16. You're, you're the light of the world, Jesus said. Uh, a man does not light a candle and, and put it under the table, under the lampstand, doesn't put it under, under the bushel, but he puts it on top of the light stand so that it will give light to the entire house. You are the light. Let your light so shine before men. Okay. When do we become light? When do we become light? Okay. Well, the Lord Jesus helps us with that in that he guided Peter to say, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, the obligation there, according to Peter in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, is that we should show forth, and this is what you call preaching, okay. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that a beautiful passage, Mike? Okay. God, through his gospel, calls unto sinners. Okay. And if we answer that call by submitting to him through faith, repentance, and confession, and baptism, then we, he will bring us into that marvelous light. Then we become light. Until then, we are darkness. But when we become light, Peter says, you ought to be showing forth the praises of him who has called us out of that, that darkness. Isn't that marvelous? And so we're light. In the fact that Jesus labels us as light, then we automatically want to make sure that we are spreading the light. And we cannot spread the light unless we are ready with the gospel. You cannot make a statement like that unless you can read it in Scripture. So look over to Philippians 2, 15 and 16 right quick. Philippians 2, Philippians 2, 15 is kind of a mirror of Jesus' statement in Matthew 5 about let your light so shine. Okay, Matthew, uh, Philippians 2, 15. But then in the next verse, Philippians 2, 16, Paul says, holding forth the word of life. So shine as luminaries, Philippians 2, verse 15. Shine, shine as, as the great stars in the night sky and then hold forth the word of life. That's, that's the gospel, you see. And so Jesus makes us light, so therefore we need to show forth the word that can bring that light. <coughs> now, let's also uh, look over to 2 Corinthians 4. To continue this idea, 2 Corinthians 4, and look right quick with me to verse 4, 2 Corinthians 4, where the Apostle Paul says, and he's warning us about Satan, he says, the God of this world has blinded the minds, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Why would Satan blind the minds of the unbelieving? It says here, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should dawn upon them. Okay, that's King James. That's how I memorized it. 
But notice what it says here in the ESV. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The devil works very hard to keep the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ from coming into anyone's life. But it's our job as the light of Christ to bring that light to the world. You see. Now keep reading. Look, look you here. Verse 6 in 2 Corinthians 4. Notice verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. When did God say that? Way back at creation. Way back at creation. All right. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the God who said, let light come forth and shine way back in creation is the same God who through the knowledge of Scripture, the knowledge of God can bring light into our hearts. And we are obligated to share that light, to share that light. Way over in Psalm 119, Psalm 119 is full of verses, 176 verses. But I think if you stop, I can't remember. It's either 30 or 130. I don't feel like looking it up. So, but it says something like, the entrance of God's word gives light, L-I-G-H-T. The entrance of God's word gives light. That's it. That's it. As the light of the world, we are to bring the gospel that brings the light of the world to other uh, folks. So this label puts us under obligation, but also qualifies us to reach other souls. So let me mention to you uh, just uh, another label or two. Not only are we the light of the world, but we are commissioned people. You know that with the Great Commission. We are commissioned people. Now, the commission tells us to go into all the world. Go, not necessarily to build a building and say, come here, but to go, to go. Now, part of that going can be for someone to be encouraged to come and be part of us. But at some point, there's got to be some sort of private conversation that takes place to help somebody to come to know the light of the gospel. Go. Go, Jesus says. Go. The Great Commission says to go, but it doesn't say to tell George to do it. Okay. It says it's an individual obligation. Go. It doesn't say go and tell George to do it. Why don't you say George? Well, that's just a Name, my daddy called everybody George. He'd see somebody go down the road, hey, George. Hey, George. He's called everybody George. Okay. I don't know why. My dad named his bird dog George. Okay. I remember George. I remember when George died. Our bird dog died. You say, what's your daddy doing? Was your daddy trying to make a hunter and fisherman out of you? No. He went hunting and fishing to get away from me. Okay. That's what he did. Great Commission says to go, to go. Don't tell somebody else to do it. Go. You go. I go. Okay. It's an individual obligation. It's not an obligation given to the eldership only. It's an obligation for every individual Christian to take to heart. Okay. 
Think about um, how many people, if they would stop thinking that the Great Commission can be done by, by a stand-in, how much the world would change. There's an obligation in worship to sing. We know that, don't we? To sing. Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. That's an individual command. No one else can do that for us. We don't, we don't sing by proxy. We, nobody stands in for us to sing. We are obligated to sing in worship. We don't, we don't give our singing obligation to the eldership and say, hey, sing for us. Sing for us. Okay. No, that's an obligation. And so is the command to go. The command to go. So we are, we are commissioned people. And then finally this evening, we are motivated people. So all these labels automatically cause us to be, to feel obligated and to be qualified. We're motivated. How are you motivated? Okay. I'll tell you how we ought to be motivated. We ought to be motiva motivated by sin. By sin. That's how Paul looked at it, Acts 17, 16 and 17. He's in the city of Athens, and he looked around. He's waiting on, on Silas and Timothy to join him, and he starts looking around. The whole, the whole city is given to idolatry. He couldn't help it. His spirit was stirred within him. He just had to go into the marketplaces and, and go into the, the hill places and meet people and start talking to them about the God who made the whole world and eventually talk about repentance and the gospel. He couldn't help it because he's motivated. Look what's happening to these people. They think you ought to be serving all these false gods. and So sin itself ought to be motivating us. We ought to be motivated by compassion. We ought to be, by compa a lot of Jesus' stories, the, the, the key phrase is he was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. That's, that's what we're about. We, we have compassion on others. Okay? We, we, we love to the point. Our character is full of love. We want them to have what we have. Okay? Do you remember when when um, Paul was on trial, and is it in Acts 26? I think it is. Is it Acts 26? It's Acts 26. And he's before Agrippa, and, and uh, Agrippa says, Paul, you would almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, uh, I wish you were just as I am, except these chains on me. I think that's one of the most marvelous statements in, in all of Scripture. That tells you the heart of Paul. Paul looked around in that palace area, wherever he was standing, to Agrippa and everybody else standing there, all these elites standing there. He said, I wish every one of you were Christians. I wish you were just like me. I wish you were Christians just like me. I, I wouldn't wish these, these chains on you, but I certainly wish that you were all Christians. Compassion. Compassion. Sometimes we battle the God of too busy. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. If our neighbor little boy was missing, I think we would lay down whatever we're doing and help them search just out of pure compassion. Don't you? We're motivated by sin. We're motivated by, by compassion. We're motivated by, by Jesus and his cross because sometimes we, we battle the idea of convenience. It's just, it is not convenient to talk to people about the church. It is not convenient. It is sometimes just, it, it just rattles you to do it. 
because it's not the, the main frame of conversations taking place here and there. Okay, it, it's, it's bothersome sometimes. It's troubling. It's inconvenient to do so. But then we stop, don't we? And we think, was it convenient to Jesus to leave heaven? Come to this earth? Was it convenient for him to allow himself to be, to be on that path to the cross, to allow himself to suffer, to be tortured, and to die in such a humiliating way. And we stop and think about that and we say, it's okay. We can be inconvenienced ourselves. We're, we, are, we are motivated by the cross, cross of Jesus. A, a mom will, all night long she has to, she'll get up with her little one. If her little one is is has a fever if a little one just can't sleep she's up and she don't look at it as inconvenient she she looks at it as just compassion pure pure love we're motivated by danger by danger if you look toward the end of the book of jude the last few verses there's a statement made there that we as we reach out to others we are helping to snatch them out of the fire how many of us, if we knew we got there's a house on fire and we knew there was there was someone inside, would we hesitate? If we heard someone crying, we would run into that fire and help that person out. <coughs> now, if we stopped and thought about it, all of a sudden we'd become full of fear. But something moves us to do that anyway. What is it? If you look at 1 John 4, 18, the statement from John is, perfect love does what? Perfect love casts out fear. If your child is in that burning house, you have such love, you're going to dart in there. It doesn't matter. You're not going to stop to think about it. You're not going to think about the danger. You're going in. There are people headed to Satan's world, an eternal fire. Somehow, we have to overcome the fear and get to them. And so these labels can help us, hopefully, to focus more on souls. Let's do all we can in behalf of our Lord. Let's do all we can in behalf of our meeting coming up. Let's do all we can in behalf of those souls who are lost. And I know you feel uh, the same way. I know you have the heart of Christ. I know you do. And this evening it may be we have one among us who is yet to name the name of Jesus. The death of Jesus is for everyone. No matter what you may have done, where you may have been, the death of Jesus is for everyone. It's freely given in that it is available to everyone. It's freely given in the sense that God is the one who's brought it to us, but we must receive that gift through, through obedience. And again, through faith and repentance, confession and baptism, one can come in contact with that saving blood and begin his journey to heaven. Will you come this evening as we stand, as we sing?